The Bible reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 28. The order of service says 18 to 20, but we'll be reading from 16 to 20, and Eva will be reading for us. Today's Bible reading comes from the Gospel according to Matthew uh, chapter 28, uh, verses 16 to 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The sense of reading. We are working through this morning our core value series, and we have come to this one, which states that we are a mission-minded church, that we are a church that takes the proclamation of the gospel as one of our core values. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that you would grant to us the ability to hear, to understand, and to be changed. Grant to me the ability to speak. Give me the help of your Holy Spirit, O God, that in my weakness, you would reveal your strength, you would glorify your name through Christ our Lord. Amen. I believe that the church has by and large lost its mission age. You know, when I listen to the state of our own church, our own Presbyterian church, let alone other denominations, I find that uh, it is sometimes quite disheartening that churches are barely there to survive and to look after their own particular needs rather than have a sense of purpose why Christ has called us to be uh, his church and what he has given to us to do. Let me tell you a little parable about a Serve Life Saving Club. Now when I look at the website of the Serve Life Saving uh, Australia organization, they have right on the front page their mission statement. Uh, the mission statement says, Serve Life Saving exists to save lives, create great Australians, and build better communities. Stunning, isn't it? I saw it for the first time this week. What's the mission statement of Serve Life Saving Australia? Serve Life Saving exists to save lives create great Australians, and build better communities. I think they're spot on. I love that. I absolutely love that. Let me tell you a parable. Now, this was founded in 1907, this Surf Life Saving Club. It was founded with such a clear mission, clearly stated. And, you know, when they were first constituted, it consisted of volunteers, people heavily invested in the organization that gave freely over time. They were heartbroken when in those days they saw people 
drowning on the surf. Especially new Australians coming in and getting themselves killed in the water. And they believed that there was nothing more important for them than to save lives. And they banded together, they formed this organization, and they themselves were there on the beach, patrolling, and they were signing up members to do the same. And the club began to grow. And so it grew to an extent where they elected some of the members to uh, run the organization in a governing board. And it was a bus over that. It was growing. And, and they realized that you know, such a place became a natural context for them to socialize and make friends. They, they began to get more and more people. They, they liked each other. They, they had dinner together. They, they did life together. They made more friends. Now one group enjoyed doing brunch every Sunday morning and talk about their kids' education. Another group met often to compare notes about real estate situation in Sydney. And yet another group would meet during the week uh, to network for business opportunities. And those who were elected to run the governing board, in the governing board rather, uh, begin to fill the calendars in with all kinds of activities and events to, to serve the interests of those good-hearted members. And they themselves attracted many others into their activities socially. And soon they were big enough to build a center by the beach, complete with restaurants, a gym, gift shop, and a fantastic rock pool right at the front, just to remind them of their heritage, of their humble beginning. Now, a few members uh, uh, do re- uh, did remember what surf life-saving was about, and they continued to be on the beach patrolling faithfully. But because so many of them were so involved with other matters, they began to realize that they had difficulty filling the roster of those members to patrol the beach to run surf life-saving. Actual. So, one AGM, they voted to employ professional life-savers. And uh, that way, they, they could keep affirming their mission statement that they are about saving life, but they don't have to get really involved, apart from paying their membership due. Now, today, if you go there, you find a really impressive, impressive slick, life-saving club. Like a business generating impressive income, attracting well-heeled patrons who have no real interest in life-saving, beyond what they can get out of the club itself. And the average member are largely indifferent uh, to what life-saving was about. But they know that the restaurant there is good. Now, I wonder if you can get the drift of this little parable I just told I think, by and large, the malaise of the church is this. We have lost the sense of mission, what we are about. We give lip service to art, and we think we can uh, give the task on to certain professionals or certain people to do, but for our, uh, ourselves, we, we are largely consumers rather than lifesavers. I like to press upon us 
the importance of this value that we have. If we ever lose the sense of mission at Cornerstone, mark my words, before long, we would become another problem church with problems that struggle to uh, find a reason for our existence. If we ever lose that sense of mission, I would be the first one to recommend that we disband as a church and cease to exist because we have lost the reason why Jesus has saved us to make us into a great people, holy unto the Lord, create a community that is different and with a passion, a mission to save life, to reach the world with the gospel. Now, when you listen to this, you think, are we doomed to fail? I mean, after all, you cannot now listen to the media for a week before you hear yet another anti-Christian agenda. And we cannot read another statistic that makes us look so insignificant and small. And furthermore, our friend seems rather unresponsive lately, haven't they? How can we possibly succeed. Now, that's why we need to listen once more to Matthew 28. Now, these words are spoken to a group of disciples who were worshipping Jesus and yet some doubted. Stunning, isn't it? They are written exactly for people like that. They were not written for a group of people chomping at the beast and saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? But a group of people trembling, doubtful, not sure what, what's going to happen. I mean, is this the reason Jesus, king of the universe, it doesn't look like it because right now, right in the, on the throne, is Caesar. He seems to control the world. And in Jerusalem, People are still rejecting Christ. They were doubtful. They were trembling. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, the, the, oh, isn't that now? If you were to take one word, they re, keep recurring in this uh, command, this great commission, as we call it. It is the word "all." All right, it comes across stronger in the Greek "all pasa penta." The two two words are there. The, the "all" words is more all embracing. Uh, uh, all authority given to uh, to me. Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. I mean, translated NIV, AV is the same word, all. And then at the end, I am with you all the days to the very end. That's what it means literally. It's almost Jesus is trying to say, what I'm telling you is, is incredible in scope. It is all, all, all. I've given you all power to do it. Number one, 
You have the power to do it. You have the authority to do it. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is not just telling us to do it. He said, I've given you the authority to do it. There's no, not a single square inch in this world or in the whole of creation, not a single square inch that is not under the total authority of Jesus. Now in the Old Testament, a few hundred years before Jesus, there was a vision by the prophet Daniel. The prophet Daniel had seen a succession in his vision of kingdom of the world that would come up and then be replaced by the next empire, the next kingdom. And then finally, in Daniel 7, he says in verse 13, In my vision at night I look, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clothes of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So after a succession of kingdom and empires that will come and be destroyed, there will come one that will never be destroyed. There will come one as the son of man. And people of all languages would come and worship him and will never be destroyed. Now isn't that incredibly encouraging? in your work of mission. Jesus is saying, you are not entering, I'm not calling you to a a failing enterprise. I'm calling you to the only enterprise that will succeed in all of history. Everything else would come and go. You think your company, your business lasts forever? No, it won't. You think IBM is the great thing? No, it has reason it's on the way down, probably. You think Apple, I work for Apple, surely they'll go, Jesus said, no, they will come and go. No, no, I work for Google, you know, you know they can take a vision, they're going to change the world. Jesus said, no, you put your life into those things, they will come and go. No, 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 I work for uh, Elon Musk, you know, this, this guy is going to define uh, our civilization. Jesus said, no. All empires would go and turn to dust. There is just one that will last forever. That will impact all eternity. And that is the work of mission. The simple task of sharing the gospel with your friend means that you are doing something that matters for all eternity that will last forever and that will never fail that will never, never, never be destroyed. Why? Jesus said, I've been given all authority. And this is my authority to establish this kingdom where people would come in and therefore I want you to be part of my big program for eternity. I'm inviting you into this mission that matters because I own all things. This is my joint. You have authority to do that. You have the power to do that at your school, 
at your university, at your workplaces, in your neighborhood, to proclaim the gospel. So when when I go down and knock on the door last year at Eastwood with, uh, really just with my son, I believe, I I was in fear. But I, as I walked towards the block apartment, I, I had to tell myself, Jesus owns this place. He has authority. Knock on the doors, and most people, you can see the uh, little peephole. Boop, boop, they would not open the door, but only two people. That's okay. One of them, a PhD student in finance, he bought a Bible to study for himself beginning to end. He didn't want, he, he one of those who, who just wanted to learn the gospel and not, not be bothered, but he's curious enough. Managed to talk with him and shared as much as I could, uh, something of the gospel, you know, in, uh, in front of his apartment. And then finally he asked a question. You know, when I read the Bible, I talked to the God and asked God to send somebody, uh, to tell me a bit more. Are you sent by God? I say, yep. <laughs> I mean, you are sent by God whenever you share the gospel. You realize that? You share the gospel, you are sent by God. You have all the authority. You've already been sent. It's a matter of you taking it up. You have the power. James Boyce says that now the idea of proclaiming the gospel in Acts is connected with the power of the Holy Spirit. They're all tied together. And he writes these words in one of his commentaries, James Boyce, he said, Do you want to be spirit-filled? Do you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Testify to Jesus. But you say, I can't speak clearly. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit doesn't stammer. He speaks clearly. You say, but I don't know my Bible well enough. Work at it. But in the meantime, testify to the portions you know. If you are a believer in Jesus, you understand, you understand the gospel at least. Testify to that. You say, but I'm afraid it won't work. Really? It worked with you. Besides, how can you say it won't work when Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will work through you? You know, some of the most unlikely people respond to the gospel. I don't mind saying it, you know, Ray Lee is the most unlikely people uh, to respond to the gospel all those years ago. I, I just couldn't believe he responded. But he did. Why? Because the Holy Spirit worked. You know, the Holy Spirit worked. Malcolm Turnbull was the most unlikely people. I was almost scared of him when he first turned up at church because he was so smart and his uh, questioning was so intense. He's an elder of our church. Why the Holy Spirit work? Who's to say that the Spirit doesn't work that way, isn't it? So what's the plan? What's the plan? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go into all, make disciples of all nations. Now, the, the pagan world, the pagan world 
of the early church, acknowledged that the early church took this command of Jesus seriously. The pagan writing considered that Christianity permeated the society. In the year 200, one of the great Christian leaders and writer, Tertullian, wrote a little work called Apology, which is really addressed to the non-Christian world in defense of the church and the gospel. And he writes these words, We are but of yesterday. Now, we are a new movement. We are but of yesterday. And we have filled every place among you. Cities, islands, fortresses, towns, marketplaces, the very camp, tribes, companies, palaces, senate, forum. We have left nothing to you but the temples of your gods. Isn't it stunning? In 280, a Greek Christian leader wrote to the non-Christian world, we have permeated the whole of your society, everywhere. We have left you nothing but the temples of your God. Now, historians ask, how did they manage to do that? I mean, the early Christians were by and large unlearned. Unlearned men and women without the the advantage of technology, internet, social media, celebrity, Christian, none of that, ordinary people. How did they manage to spread it so rapidly? A German scholar of the 19th century, Adolf Harnack, in his great work uh, on church history, knew how. After all his research, he writes that the mission of the early church was accomplished by ordinary lay members reaching their friends and communities as, in his words, informal missionaries. It was the work of the ordinary members of the church rather than a professional that allowed the church to spread that way in the early Christian. So why do we think that today we got a better strategy. You know, for myself, like I serve Life Saving Club today, and employ sort of professional. Those so-called professionals just encourage you, instruct you, teach you, and stand with you to do the task that God has given to us to do. That's why our value is, is so important. That it is not a task of the paid members, it is your task. And my task is to instruct you, to stand with you, to teach you, and to ask you to go and share the gospel with everyone. You know, every one of us must always be praying for somebody to hear the gospel. Every one of us must always have somebody in your heart, in your mind, that you want to share the gospel with. Every one of us must have somebody you are working uh, at to hear the gospel. You know, I asked my connect group last Wednesday, I ask them, who are you sharing the gospel with? Or how do you plan to share the gospel with a non-Christian uh, this week? And I got various replies. We went around the, the, uh, the group and got every, everyone to share. And now you, I, we, we got uh, examples like you know, my university friend that I see. And one of my friends, he, he's always laughing at me, but hey, you know, I, I like to work uh, on her. 
Another say, my housemate, you know, I share a house and there is a non-Christian there, I want to work uh, on her. Another young lady say, a workmate, you know, I got a workmate, uh, newish to this country, yeah, he's somebody I want to uh, get to hear the gospel. And I share myself, well, I, uh, my little community, one of them at least is my uh, gym. And, uh, you know, I try to always look at those people around that, people I can enter a conversation with. And I find that in Australian culture, you need to take it step by step. You go in at them and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus, all right? And that's the last time you're going to see them. <laughs> yeah? So, I need to play a long game at the gym. I get to know them. I get them uh, to work, work out with me sometimes. Uh, here the family, after a few months, I talked to this guy, George. I said, George, you know, uh, let's do lunch. He said, yeah, seems to be the most natural thing to do. George, let's do lunch. I want to hear your story. I want to know what makes you tick. Now, isn't that a good situation to be in? He said, yeah, let's do lunch. When people tell you their story, their life story, that gives you permission for you to tell yours. Isn't it? That gives you uh, a few uh, access points for the gospel. So, that's how myself, I myself uh, do, uh, do it. And if you share the gospel, they don't respond, I wouldn't be too anxious about it, knowing God will control. I know that God can send someone else later on to complete the task. Or if I share the gospel and someone responds, it's most likely somebody else has been used uh, by God to speak into his or her life. You realize that? Very often it's like that. I share the gospel, they responded. It's often because someone else has already spoken into his or her life. And if I speak and they seem to be resistant, disinterested, I'm not anxious because the task is not finished yet. Other people can come in later on to complete the task. Now, the task is not just to evangelize, Jesus said, but to make disciples. To, uh, to teach every convert how to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus in their life decisions. That's very important, isn't it? We are not just into numbers. We want people to follow Jesus because Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. As I was uh, looking at this passage again, I referred to a, a more recent commentary on Matthew's Gospel, a thick one. Alright? When I say this, I mean this, on Matthew's Gospel. This one written by Grant Osborne. Grant Osborne is professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Illinois, where D.A. Carson is. And he writes this with reference to this verse. A huge error has occurred over the last two centuries in the missionary movement. Consider many third world churches with little opportunity often to find death. The shallowness there is the fault 
of the mission organizations. They have given two little priority to two things. The education and training of the leaders of those countries. And number two, the development and publication of good literature for those countries. End of quote. Those are his words. When I read this, I say, spot on. Because our key strategy in Mission at Cornerstone involves those things. Our overseas key key uh, strategy is uh, precisely those uh, things. The education and training of leaders in the third world. And then providing them with resources like good literature. And that's why we are doing what we are doing today to raise money for those purposes. And finally, the promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always. No people love that last bit. They take that verse and say, you know, I'm going to Kendra. Hey, fear not. Jesus is with me all the way uh, to Canberra. Oh, hey, um, you know, you're going to school. Don't worry. Jesus is with you uh, even at your school. Now, that's true. Jesus goes with you even to Canberra. Uh, Jesus is with you at your school. But that's not what Jesus means here in this verse. I am with you always. The you there is plural. Jesus has in mind the Christian community. It's a reference to the church. Jesus said, I'm going to be with my church, my community, my body, as it goes out to share the gospel. That's why evangelism is done as a community enterprise. Yes, you do personal evangelism. It is something we do together as a church as well. And when Jesus said, I'm with you always to the very end, what he means by that is, I'm going to guarantee you success. That as the church move forward and share the gospel, it cannot be stopped. You know, in the Bible, when, when God is with his people, it means that, you know, I'm going to give you success in what you do. So, what is telling us today is this. Sometimes we are dismayed by news about the lack of progress of the gospel in one place or the next. Jesus said, I have a grand strategy. And my grand strategy for my church is that it will not die, it would make progress it will rise. It cannot be defeated as they take the gospel. That's why churches that die are churches often that don't proclaim the gospel. And churches that proclaim the gospel are, are churches that would rise. And sometimes we don't proclaim the gospel because we don't understand the gospel. We don't get the gospel. We are not changed ourselves by the gospel. And that's why we are indifferent to this command to take the gospel. Well, why, why would you take something that makes no difference to your life? But it is a life thing, powerful thing. You cannot but hold it back. 
Rodney Stark, uh, uh, church historian, in his book, The Rise of Christianity, said, said this, that people make a big deal about the early church, how it eventually, eventually dominated the Roman Empire. Do you know that in the first 350 years of the early church, Christianity grew 40% every decade. But in our current time, in the last 70 years, Christianity did not grow 40% every decade. It grew 89% every decade. Before 1949, he writes, there were basically hardly any Christian in China. In the last 40 years alone, 100 million new Protestant Christians are added, have been added to the Christian churches. 100 million Protestant, Protestant evangelical type Christians. Now on that trajectory, in about 25 years time, there will be more evangelical Christians in China than there are people living in North America. And that would create a seismic church geopolitically. In Indonesia, in spite of the hostility of the Muslim, the last 10 years saw the conversion of 40 million new Christians. And many of them were Muslim. You know, many years ago when I grew up in Malaysia, in Malaysia and Singapore, Christianity was seen as a legacy of colonialism. And I was told so by my own parents. A cultural curiosity. When you are Christian, it was a rather strange thing uh, in West Malaysia. I'm not sure about Sabah and Sarawak. All right, yeah, always a strange group of people there. But in West Malaysia, it's a really curiosity, and in Singapore as well. When I went back in more recent times, the gospel is much more in the public discourse. And with that, of course, hostility and persecution. And why, why is there more uh, hostility by the government? Because it is making an impact. I have a WhatsApp group with my former classmate in Malaysia. About 20 people. And here's something remarkable. Almost every one of them who say so, who many who are, who are able to articulate, uh, willing to say so, say that someone has shared the gospel with them in recent times. It isn't that remarkable. Every single one of them have somebody shared the gospel with them. The gospel is growing uh, in places like that. The gospel will grow among us if we understand again what Jesus is saying to us here, go and share the gospel. All authority has been given to me. Make disciples of all nations. I am with you when you do that. Would we? Let's pray. Almighty God, I pray that we would, as a church, not lose that. But, Father, that you would drive us with a passion for your glory. Drive us with a passion to see the name of Jesus 
held in honor and awe to see people turning from death to life to see people safe and presented to you as a pleasing harvest Father so let this be a true value a true passion of your church through Christ our Lord Amen let's stand to sing